now over these past two years, I've been able to teach Sunday school, to lead a Monday night Bible study, work with our students in the classrooms. We've talked about a couple of different mission trips. I feel like I'm doing as much ministry here as I was on the field. God has been able to do far more in our life during these last two years than we ever imagined possible. Welcome to Cedarville Stories, a podcast sharing meaningful stories of people impacted by relationships and experiences at Cedarville University. Cedarville Stories is brought to you by Cedarville University, where student lives are transformed through excellent education and intentional discipleship in submission to biblical authority. Continue listening to hear the rest of today's story. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein. Joining me on the podcast is Dr. John Tarwater, Assistant Professor of Finance at Cedarville University. He is also a former boxer and missionary. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thank you very much, Mark. Glad to be here. You know, when I think of you, um, I hear a lot of stories. You've been at Cedarville for uh, two years, and you're starting your third uh, this fall. You have a very diverse background. Uh, How does one go from boxing to being a missionary and then a real estate mogul? Well, one is you begin with being very bad at boxing and realizing that you need to find something else with which to make a living. Um, The real estate kind of came from... Uh, another another avenue. In 2005, uh, my mother had been somewhat ill, and um, I thought this would be an opportunity for me to move back closer to home and be in a position to help my mom and my dad. We weren't sure really what was the illness was and mm-hmm. uh, how uh, difficult it was going to be. The good news is over time we realized it was something that was controllable and my mother is doing very well. She's very healthy. Um, but in that time, uh, I moved out of academics, moved out of administration at a, a local seminary in North Carolina, and moved my family back to Tennessee to start a construction and development company. The idea was to build um, single-family condominiums. Okay. And um, so we put together some capital, bought some land, and began that process. And then like any business person, you decide – uh, hey, I don't want to leave money on the table. If, if I build these things, maybe I can wire them. So I, I had started Integrity Construction Development. Then I started Integrity Electric and got my license to do electrical contracting. And my company began to wire them and uh, to equip them. And then we decided to also open up a real estate company, and that was Integrity Real Estate. So we were going to build them, wire them, and then sell them. And so we did that for a a few years, we built some cabins. I built some commercial property like um, Chevron stores and restaurants. But it, within a couple of years, we're in 2007, and the financial crisis had really uh, peaked. And so we looked for, is there an avenue to possibly get out of this uh, real estate business and not lose everything? And, and I was able to. Uh, a friend of mine called me from uh, another school in uh, Georgia and asked if I'd be interested in ever getting back into academics. And as you can imagine, that's just the way God opened the door and allowed us to do that. As a boxer, you you, you did a good bob and weave there. Um, where did you box and for how long? When I first went to college, uh, I went to a small Baptist college in East Tennessee. Okay. I had uh, been accepted at the um, Naval Academy early on and had anticipated perhaps going to a school like that but I experienced some um, hearing problems coming out of high school. And so I wanted to stay close to the University of Tennessee. Uh, They had an audiology uh, program there. And when I first went to college, it was, I was going to play basketball at a small college. And uh, 
I came to a conclusion, perhaps with the help of the coach, that I didn't have a long history in that as well. And um, I played a really rough game. You know, when you when you're not real fast or something, you try to lean on other skills. And so uh, I was fairly strong, and so I, I used those skill sets. At the end of my first year of college, I had um, I was experiencing some positive results from with regard to my hearing. And so I decided to transfer schools, and I went to a military college in South Carolina known as the Citadel. And believing that perhaps my uh, basketball days were over with, um, a guy in the um, club sports of uh, boxing had approached me and asked if I'd be interested in doing that. And I thought, hey, this might be a great place to be able to foul people without getting in trouble. (laughs) And so that's what we did. Okay. So how did or did boxing, being a real estate mogul, being a missionary – how did that prepare you to become assistant professor of finance at Cedarville? Any any parallels there? <laughs> I don't know that there is there. The the trek to being a financial professor was really uh, a God thing, as you can imagine. Uh, we think of the verse that man plans his way, but the Lord directs his paths. Um, going through school, I was a double major. I did business administration, did uh, mathematics, and I picked up enough classes along the way to to be able to sit for the certified uh, public accounting exam to become a CPA. And so I did that. To maintain your license, you have to take 120 hours of continuing professional education every three years. When And when I was working as an accountant um, in Dallas, that was pretty easy to do. You're in a major city. When you go on the mission field, it becomes much more difficult to pick up your license, your continuing education requirements. We moved along the the uh, Mexico and Texas border, uh, I spoke with the accounting uh, board and they allowed me to take classes at a university and that they would count those hours toward professional education. When I looked at my background in terms of skill sets, I thought, hey, I'm really good at math and finance has a lot of math. I'll just take finance classes for a doctoral program and be able to maintain my license. My goal was not really to get a PhD in finance, but it was really just to maintain my accounting licenses. Mm. Uh, my oldest son was then reaching the age of, hey, dad, I want to go to college. And he had scored fairly well on some of the national exams. And uh, we benefited from that when it came time to apply for colleges. And uh, some of them had offered him some full scholarships uh, to attend their universities. But he approached me one day and asked if I would be okay with him actually attending Cedarville College. And I said, well, can you tell me why? (laughs) Why would you want to go to a school where you have to pay versus one of those where you don't have to pay? And my son uh, said to me, Dad, I really want a school where I can grow academically and professionally, but also grow in my walk with Christ. And uh, so my wife and I were talking. It was like, you know, who wants to tell their son, well, we really don't want you to do that. (laughs) You know, we we had also anticipated that with 10 children, there might come a day where it's going to become more and more difficult for us to stay on the field. And um, so because we'd raised our support to be able to live and to work on the mission field. And so when he decided to go to Cedarville, we thought perhaps we would not be able to stay on the mission field. I considered applying for a position in the Christian Studies Department. I have a Ph.D. in ethics as well, and that's what I'd done for 20 years. And, and when we looked at Cedarville, instead there was an opening in finance. And so it's not like I'd been 
using my PhD in finance uh, for any length of time. It was, like I said, it was just something on the side, but it was that avenue and that door that allowed me to actually come to Cedarville. God has used it to provide for our family and allow them to go to school, but for me to use a skill set, um, a little different than what I had in the past. It's really been good. Well, we all believe that God directs our steps. That's a given. But he also uses people in lives, our lives, to lead us where he wants us. So he used your son, actually, to bring you to Cedarville. But he, he probably also used a guy that you hired back in an earlier job to probably bring you to Cedarville. Who was the guy that you hired that maybe had an influence on getting you to Cedarville? Back around 1999, 2000, I was working at a school in North Carolina, and an opening came up to lead the student center and uh, intramurals and uh, things of that nature. And a very talented young man named Thomas White came through the door. And so I worked with Dr. White for a couple of years in North Carolina. And so when I applied for a position here at Cedarville, on the application it asked, uh, do you know anyone at Cedarville? And I was afraid to say yes, because I didn't want to put Dr. White in a position of having to hire me or worse, not hire me. And then secondly, as an ethics professor, I certainly didn't want to lie. And so I did mark it and I wrote his name down and just moved on. But it wasn't too long that later I received a call from Dr. White who asked, is this you? Are you really interested in coming to Cedarville? And I, I expressed my desire and he said, John, we, we would love to have you. And, and it's been a very good uh, reuniting of his family and our family. That's neat. It's a neat story. Knowing that you have a big tribe at home and you have a lot of responsibilities here. How do you, how do you balance your time so you can do everything well, so you can honor the Lord, you can serve your family and you can do a great job in the classroom. How do you make that happen? Well, certainly there are times in our life where I would say I probably don't balance that very well. It certainly is a goal. And in fact, uh, in my Monday night Bible study and our Sunday school uh, adult Bible fellowship, this would be a, a recurring prayer. Help me to do that job well. One of the things that God has given me is an incredible wife mm-hmm. and a, one who I have to say manages the household extremely well. I have a wife who, you know, she has her schedule up of who does what chore and what older child helps what younger child. And she's done homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Um, the, my two oldest children who are attending here at Cedarville, both of them homeschooled K through 12. And even though I might've been the one who taught the chemistry or the mathematics courses, the brunt of the job fell upon my wife. And so I would say it's, it's a, an incredible spouse that the Lord has blessed me with. Let's transition to the academic world. So you teach finance. I'm interested in knowing exactly what other courses you teach and then what in the classroom encourages you the most about teaching? Um, in Because I have two doctoral degrees, one in ethics and one in finance, within the School of Business, the dean has, in essence, appointed me to be the professor, if you will, of all the business ethics courses. So that's become a real focus for me. I taught ethics in the past, whether it's introductory ethics or ethics of life and death, ethics of war or um, wealth and poverty within the Christian life. But business ethics was new for me. And so working for the past two years to develop a curriculum that would help our students has been quite exciting for me. This summer, I was able to publish a book 
um, that dealt with a methodology for doing business ethics. So that's been pretty exciting for me. The other area of, I'll call it expertise, but perhaps maybe just an area of love for me is the math background. Mm-hmm. You know, I told you I was an undergraduate major in mathematics. I had roughly 21 hours of math on the doctoral level, just as part of your finance degree. And so within the department of uh, the school of business, I'm the professor who primarily teaches the technical classes. We have a math for econ majors. We have a class in econometrics. And so for me, I've been tasked with teaching classes that already resonate with me. I'm teaching business ethics. I'm teaching math. I'm teaching finance. Uh, And within finance, the areas that are mathematically um, uh, dense, if I can say it that way. And so it's just been fun for me to, to deal with those subjects. What are, the, what are the students like in your classroom that get to uh, learn from you? Well, I've taught at a couple of different schools uh, throughout history, one in Georgia, one in Texas, and, and now here. And hands down, Cedar Hill has the best students that I've ever uh, had the privilege of working with. Here I'm talking about academically. They seem to be sharp. Uh, their ability to write is very good. Their ability to integrate uh, what they've learned in their Bible minor with what we're doing in class, extremely good. Now, of course, we have a weak student here or have had good students in the past, but overall, it has just been an excellent set of students. So go, I'm going to go back to um, your time on the mission field. Where were you and what were you doing on the mission field? We'll start there. Uh, my wife and I served on the mission field a couple of different times. Uh, one time we served with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And that's what originally took us to uh, Costa Rica. And my job there was to teach on the mission field and be part of a church planning team. And so in Costa Rica, we uh, were part of a church plan in an area called Carthago. And so it was the blending of being able to teach, which I felt was part of my calling, and still being involved in church planting. Those two areas both resonated with me. Um, when my wife and I were first dating, I had expressed my desire to go on the mission field. And at first, uh, she was not convinced that that's what (laughs) she had wanted to do. She said, I I didn't come from a church background where missions was really stressed, but she said, I'm at least open to it. And so we talked about it really for roughly five years and had never committed to going on the mission field. I'd given her some books thinking, Hey, here's some stuff on missions. You know, you read these and you're going to be on fire. And uh, time went by and she had never responded. And so I, I went to her one evening and I said, Sheila, I've given you some books and I haven't ever heard back from you. I really thought you'd come back saying, John, let's go on the mission field. And my wife asks the question, just what did you think having me read a book where these missionaries get killed would inspire <laughs> me to want to go? <laughs> and I thought, okay, let me get you a different book. Um, but in um, around the year 2000, my wife had gone to a conference uh, with Elizabeth Elliott, mm-hmm. and she had come back, and uh, she said, listen, here's what I've, I know for sure, John. I'm called to be your wife, and I know that I'm called to work with children and young mothers, and I can do that anywhere. And so in the words of Ruth, whither thou goest, I will go. Your people will be my people, mm-hmm. and your God would my God. And so we went on the mission field and were able to use both of our skill sets in that way. After returning home for a while, we sought to return to the field and knowing that our family was growing, that it was going to be more difficult. And here we went with a different mission agency that 
uh, required us to raise our support. This was with Camino Global. And um, the, the neat thing about Camino Global is they allowed me a platform through which to teach in Guatemala City, the largest Latino seminary in the world, Zateca, at the same time to use my business skills uh, with you know, my accounting background to help do business as missions, to uh, work with a, um, a coffee organization, Hope Coffee, um, to set up the books on that, to minimize costs, to maximize profits. And again, I felt like they had a need and I had a skill set and God brought those two together. And again, it's not like I went and did accounting just because I wanted to make a living. It was me able to use the skill sets that God had given me, and I enjoyed doing it. And so for us, it was just an excellent opportunity to move to the mission field again, to raise our children in that type of environment, and to use the skill sets that God had given me for his glory. And we saw results from it. We were part of uh, church plants in Guatemala. We were part of church plants in along the border there in Mexico. And so it's just been a great life. Do you miss being on the mission field? Oh, we do. Um, yes and no, I'll say it that way. When uh, we decided to make the move from uh, Camino Global to come to Cedarville, we really, um, there was a serious pause. Do we want to leave the mission field? Because once you leave, you, you always think about going on the mission field. Man, you give up everything to go and this and that. But it is far more difficult to come off the mission field than it is to go on the mission field. And we knew that if once we come off, there's no chance of us really being able to go back, most likely. And so it was a difficult decision for us. But when we came to Cedarville, now over these past two years, I've been able to teach Sunday school, to lead a Monday night Bible study, to work with our students in the classrooms. We've talked about a couple of different mission trips uh, that I can take my students to within Spanish-speaking countries. I feel like I'm doing as much ministry here as I was on the field. Mm. And uh, just God, God has been able to do far more in our life during these last two years than we ever imagined possible. So it's been a good two years. So really, Cedarville is your mission field. Oh, by all means. And it gives you new platforms with a lot of college students. It does. Uh, the neat thing about Sateca was that it allowed me because it was such a well-known seminary, uh, it gave me a platform to speak to other places. So I, I was given the opportunity to go to Bolivia or Cuba or Honduras or other places to speak as a specialist in ethics for Latinos. But the same thing, when you're at a strong academic school that is known for its commitment to the Word of God and the testimony, you know, it's a likewise a platform that allows me the opportunity to teach and speak in other places. In preparing for today's podcast, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, did a little bit of research on you, and I got a glimpse of who you are. And we, we've kind of conversed before as well, but just sitting here with you today, you know, I, I look at your life in the, in the way of it like a quilt. So on one side is all these threads, and they don't make sense. But if you turn it over and you look at the front end, the finished piece is like a masterpiece. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm getting a glimpse from you today, that God has put you in, in missions field. He's, he's taking you to uh, Texas, your education, everything. It, it, sometimes it seems disjointed, but when you look at John Tarwater, the finished product as you are today, it's perfect because it's God. There was a part of us that when we moved to Texas originally, 
I was the director of a couple of graduate programs at a university and then became an accountant at a mid-sized accounting firm. And so there was a part of my life that looked like, hey, John, you are continuing to move up the uh, ladder of success. Uh, things in your life are going well. I started a Sunday school group at um, First Baptist in Dallas, and it exploded. But on the other side, in conversations, say, with just my wife, we were thinking, we do not enjoy Texas. This is mm. the the part of one of my jobs was not very exciting. Some of the people I worked with were not exciting. It was a difficult time of my life if, if I were just evaluating John and Sheila and our life together. But when the door opened us for us for us to go back to the mission field, we had access to people and funds that we would have never had access to had we not moved to Texas. Uh, my skill sets in accounting, I would have never had that had we not moved to Texas. And the way he used us on the field and then even ultimately to move us here would never have happened had we not moved to Texas. So it was one of those things where I would never have chosen <laughs> that part of my life uh, for moving there. But when I look at the fruit that has come from it, I cannot imagine God having accomplished it any better way. Oh, praise the Lord. That's a great story. I have two questions as we prepare to close this podcast. So one, um, who are some of the mentors in your life who have shaped you, who have built into your life that have led you to where you are today? I had a gentleman that um, became my pastor when I was at Duke University. His name was Alan Mosley. He was the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas. And uh, after I graduated, he later hired me to be on staff there at First Baptist Dallas. Years later, I moved to Tennessee and became a pastor of a small church in East Tennessee. And my wife and I took a vacation and uh, put me back in touch with uh, Alan Mosley. And by that time, he was now the vice president of a seminary in North Carolina. And uh, he encouraged me to return back to school for my doctoral degree. And he hired me again for uh, a job there at the seminary. And just over time, uh, our lives have continued to cross. And for me, he epitomized the individual who would be both pastoral and academic, a man who would be known for both his holiness and his walk before Christ, as well as his ability to impact people from the pulpit. Mm. And I often, uh, throughout these past 25 years, if you will, have aspired to be that kind of a scholar who is competent in his or her field, but who is also known as just a holy man. Very good. Uh, my my last question, and our podcast followers know this is coming. Uh, what is your favorite memory or most memorable event during your two years at Cedarville University? That's difficult. That really is. For me, the chapel hour at Cedarville has been quite interesting. I've been at other schools that have had required chapels, if you will. But usually it was for two days a week, perhaps three days a week, five days a week. Hey, we've <laughs> we've entered into a new spectrum. But then when we went to our first graduation here at the the uh, university, I'm thinking, how are we going to get through these thousand names of people? And how long is the address going to be? And who's going to deliver the um, graduation ceremony speech, if you will? To my surprise, it was Dr. White. <laughs> but then to see him so masterfully, if I can say that, weave in the gospel message in that 
probably less than a 10 minute presentation, as well as to rehearse, if you will, the four different series of sermon series that he had done for the graduates in that same amount of time. Absolutely incredible. And uh, I can only imagine the lives that were touched by his um, 10 minutes of speaking to those parents and graduates. And I'd go back home and tell my wife, this is really worth seeing, going to a graduation ceremony at Cedarville University. So I would say, yeah, being here, uh, going through the first two ceremonies has been probably the most memorable events. Well, as a, as a colleague of yours, I am thrilled that you're here. I've enjoyed getting to know you. I know we have many more days ahead to work together. And uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast. And thank you for serving Jesus here at Cedarville. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories, brought to you by Cedarville University. Be sure to rate and review Cedarville Stories on your favorite podcast provider and share with friends. You can also follow Cedarville University on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you to Logan Hayes for producing today's episode, Clem Boyd and Sarah Gump for marketing the podcast, and most importantly, you, the listener, for joining us today. Come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.